0: Welcome to another inspirational message from Liberty Church in Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. Uh, Lord, do you want me to do that now? Okay, I'll, I'll celebrate Father's Day my way, going generational. My dad was the best man at our wedding. He's the best man, because that's the term, it's best man. But I remember driving down the night he went to heaven. I had church service on Thursday night, and I uh, chose to do my job, because I knew I'd see my dad again. And as I was leaving the church that night, I got the call that my dad had passed. And I said to the Lord on the way down, you mark it down. Heavenly Father, you mark it down. I chose you first. And he honored the fathering that I gave him. That In my life, from that point on, came three men in my life. One is Charles Neiman, who's like an older brother to me, who's been our friend for as long as we've been married. Then God brought Pastor Buddy Harrison into my life. And in, during that, he was a father-like one to me in so many ways and gave me so many opportunities to be a blessing and learn what it is not to seek your own, but to seek the enhancement of other people and in through Buddy Harrison, I met Alan Vincent, and I cannot describe the impact that Alan Vincent had on my life as a spiritual father. Fathering is you don 't have to be a father; you can be a woman and father it 's the same qualities, the same characteristics you, uh, just because someone is a biological father does not make him the dad. You're the dad because you do the job. You be the leader. You need to be who you be. At the time, Jesus is just entering his ministry. 77 times, he does something that ticks the scribes and the Pharisees off. He's a repeat offender. You know what he did? He called God my father. My father. My father my father. You know how he could do that? Because in Mark chapter 1 verse 11, and it also says in Matthew 1 17, but Mark 1 chapter 11, a voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The father identified his son. And people heard it. Multitude heard it at the Jordan River. This is my son. And he calls him father. Calls him Father. I grew up fearing God. I imagine a good number of you also did. You know, you just he was mystical out there. And Alan taught me something. He said, anytime you have a question of Scripture, remember God is your Father. And you're of an earthly. Father. What would you do for your kids and your grandkids? That's the heart. When the Scripture is sometimes hard to understand. I go to fatherhood. Helps me understand everything. Uh, I've told the story, and I'll repeat it, is that we lost a little girl, little Melissa's in heaven, we'll get to see her when we get there. But I was in a van with a bunch of guys, and a number of them ministers, and one of them shot his mouth off, he's in the back of the van, that that was God testing me. And I hadn't pulled the van over on the interstate, and I got out on the, the passenger front seat, And I opened the side door and said, come out, I'm going to beat the crap out of you right now. My father, if you told me my dad, Jim McGaffin Jr., killed my daughter to test me, make me a better trooper, I'd tear you apart. Don't you dare tell me my heavenly father did that to me. Don't you ever. Fathering and the qualities of father are all throughout the Bible, all throughout the Bible. So when you see God put his word and his covenants in motion, what he's doing is bringing fathering, a loving heavenly father, sent his only begotten son, that whoever would believe on him would have eternal life. Let's go to John chapter 10. And I still ask you for grace with me. I'm still using the brand new Bible. I mean, when you use a new Bible, the pages sometimes stick together. John 10, and I'm going to go to verses, uh, let's see, 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because you're not of my sheep, as I said unto you. The sheep, my sheep, hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, that they may never perish. They shall have any, oh, and neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them to me, is greater than all, and no man will pluck them out. No man will pluck them out. When you come into the covenant relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, no man can pluck you out you meet him no man can pluck you out the day i got saved i met the man it was not a theological religious deal anymore for me i met him simple as that john 14 as long as we're that close verse 10 believest Thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father's in me. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. One of the great joys for a father is to see your children and your children's children do better. I remember the first time Mark came back from El Paso, Texas, with the whole team up there, and they have uh, a Kid, get up there for five minutes and do an impromptu message. And of course, it's in our church, so he gave it to Mark. And I've never heard Mark like this. In five minutes, he had the men in the church on their feet clapping. I can't do that. And I said to myself, who is this? And I thought, that's my boy. That's my boy. The other day, I got to hold little baby Merritt. Collins first father's day is today and he gets to hold the little guy and I got to hold him and he goes "Eh, eh, eh, eh," and all that stuff but I got to hold him you don't understand have to deal with yourself and your daughter and family when every doctor and every fertility doctor said she couldn't get pregnant and here's the little guy they're wrong because I have a heavenly father That hears my prayers when I pray. And he's not going to get fucked out of my family. I'm going to get to see this one. Excel them all. Here's something to think about. If you spend time looking at a problem, it gets bigger. When you spend time in the Father's presence, you minimize it. You're not saying it doesn't exist, but you minimize it. It doesn't have the strength. It doesn't have the clout. I know it's a tough thing and you got to deal with it. You know what? It doesn't knock you over anymore. It doesn't keep on growing and getting bigger and bigger. Nah, nah. No big deal. Amen? Now, here's something about fathering, and I could say it this way, mentoring. Mentoring is a buzzword in culture. You know, you need a mentor and all that. But all that is, is you lead by example. And you build a relationship in that example. Had I not put any time in with Charles and Buddy and Alan, I wouldn't have got anything out. But I went out of my way. The first word of the spirit seminar, I went down in uh, uh, San Antonio where Alan's school is, where you, you're going to study. <laughs> you're going to study art. First day, uh, he finished the morning, and everybody broke for lunch. And I, I'm the usher of ushers. I'm standing around. I got there early, an hour early and I'm waiting till Alan leaves the building. And you know what? Nobody came and got him. Eileen wasn't there. He was standing at the podium area by himself. And I went up to, sir, is anyone bringing you lunch? No. I said, could I buy you lunch, sir? Well, that'd be great if you, Jim, in that English voice. And we we went and had a buffet lunch together because I paid attention Mentoring is paying attention to the details of people's lives. Leadership is influence. If I don't influence you, I have no right to try to lead you. Amen? Amen. Proverbs. or Let's go to Deuteronomy. I think that's an important one. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we'll use verse seven. Nope, I've got Deuteronomy seven. I got the pages are stuck together. Ha, there we go. Verse seven. Abraham's being chosen. Listen, he says, and you shall teach them diligently unto your children. And you'll talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when thou sits down and when you rise up. You're chosen to have this influence because you'll, you just don't go to church. And I put in my hour, hour and a half. And that's all God gets all week. No, you talk about him when you're sitting down, when you're getting up, when you're going in, when you're going out. I know numerous pastors whose kids are hellions. Kids watch you. They don't do what you say. They watch what you do. And if you don't live a relationship with Jesus at home, one hour on Sunday morning is not going to make a difference. Your kids need to see you hit your knees and pray and cry out for people. Mercedes has seen that out of us. The boys have. They know exactly what to do. You put it into them. Proverbs 22, let's go there. I know it's Father's Day, but why am I stressing this so much? Because there's very little fathering going on in the culture today. Just watch some TV ads. Just You went from way back when, uh, My Three Sons, Father Knows Best to Archie Bunker and making fun of dads. Proverbs 22, verse 6, and I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. Train up at a child the way he should go, teaching him to seek God's wisdom and his will for his abilities and talents. And even when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Train up. Now, one of the things you do, uh, I can remember teaching Michael Weiss how to play basketball. He never really played. I love basketball and I've coached and I know what I'm doing. So I would practice with Michael four basic moves. Three basic shots and free throws. Because I didn't want to just teach him and tell him what to do. Training is repetitive doing what you're taught. And I would tell him stuff like Shoot the shot you're going to shoot in the game. Don't be shooting the threes and jacking around in warm-ups. Shoot the shot you're going to shoot as soon as the game starts. Practice. Train him. He never made a layup in warm-ups without me slapping him and pushing him and hitting him. What are you doing that for? Because he's our tallest guy, but he's not the biggest. We played some farm boys out out that were big boys. And he's got to cover these guys. And he took a beating, but he held his ground. He moved his feet. He knew how to pivot. He knew how to screen out. I gave him most valuable player. I had a parent furious with me because their son clearly could handle the ball and do score the most points. But he wasn't our most valuable player. Michael got the worst assignments every game and did them. I not only taught him, I trained him. And then he did it. So we train up our kids. Train them up. Train them how to be givers. How to be givers. Not takers. How to be givers. Amen? Okay, let's go to Ephesians 6. Now in Ephesians 5 you're going to have instructions for men and women in marriage that you submit one to another, that you love each other like Christ loves the church, lay your lives down for one another. Then it switches in verse 1 in chapter 6 it says children obey your parents. In the Lord, for this is right. I learned getting older and my kids getting older that when they were children, they had to obey me. But there's a process in training them up where I become counsel to them that they're going to have to learn to make their own decisions. And I've seen father after father be a tyrant and expect to be obeyed rather than train kids up. And the next one says, honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment, with promise. And what is the promise? It says in Proverbs, it'll be well with you, you'll live long. How many want to live long? Okay, honor your mom and dad. When they're not very honorable. Find something to honor in their life. They weren't all bad. Okay? Fathers, in verse 4, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Don't provoke them. How many times have I seen that? I worked for Boys Town, I was at pastoring, worked for Youth for Christ. Parents provoking their kids, just being mean. Yeah. I can do that because I'm bigger than you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, well wait till you're an older man and you need to help but He ain't anywhere around. Yeah. Okay. Anyhow, the words there are nurture and admonition. Nurture is feed properly. And it's important if you're going to mentor someone, if you're going to father someone, you're going to influence someone let you feed them the right stuff you can watch all the reality shows you want and MTV and you let your kids get fed on that, that's what they model that's what they see, hello shootings hello promiscuous sex hello drugs it's all over the TV well I I don't want to spend time with them they can just watch TV, no I had to figure a way to get into James. Deborah was clearly uh, his favorite. He wanted to be around Mom a lot. They got along great, personality-wise. So, I come up. How many of have ever played the game of Yahtzee? Okay. James and I became the Yahtzee champions of the world. We would sit down and play at least a half hour to an hour Yahtzee before dinner's done every night. That was our time. I developed something with him that was our time. With Mark was basketball. We go out in the driveway. He wanted to shoot. With Micah, he wanted to go to the park, and he brought all the you know playing the jungle gyms and all that stuff. And the best thing, one with uh, Micah, was that we changed park one time, and the slide was a different kind of slide, and went, it had really made you go flying. And I wasn't ready for him. He went right through my legs and scratched up his back end on the gravel underneath. And all he could do was tell me, "My dad dropped me. My dad dropped me." <laughs> But in each of the guys had something special. And Mercedes and I like to go to the ballet. Do I like the ballet? Not very much. Do I like going with my daughter? Wouldn't miss it for anything. I dated my daughter. I knew how to raise three boys who played basketball, but I didn't know how to raise a girl. I dated my daughter. You nurture them. Admonition is a correct rebuke. Learn to correct your children properly rather than angrily if you train them with their mad voice you're going to have to rule with them that for the rest of their lives there's coming a the time it don't work anymore learn to raise your kids properly and discipline them properly good job okay fathering the name of the game is service guys service I'll sleep later. I'll get up, I'll take them. I'll stay up, I'll watch them. Take them. Volunteer to drive them every day to school. Volunteer to coach. Volunteer to go. Deborah and I love each other. Friday night we got nothing going on. What do you want to do? I don't know. Let's go up to the mall and shop. That is a code phrase. We're not buying anything for me. When you go shopping on Friday night with your wife, you're looking for stuff for her. And I know that, and I love that. Until Mercedes got to the age she wants to go. Now I'm buying for two. And she believes, she asked for a credit card. She should have the same purchasing power that mom has. She wants. Totally different between the guys and the girls, but you know what? Give them the time. It's all the name of service. Fathers, or fathering... You live what's out of your heart. It's got to get in your heart to come out. It's nice when you have good examples around you that help you. But at the same time, it has. you can take God's word. I learned to be a much better loving husband by getting in the word and let Jesus show me in his word how I'm supposed to love her like he loves the church. I cannot tell you the times. Would I do that to the church, Jim? No, sir. Would I say that to the church? No, sir. So now, it has to come out of your heart. There are some guys in the Bible that we could talk about on fathering, and I'll mention a few of them. How many remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Remember when Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son? His son's 15 years old, and Abraham's 100, some. Abraham's not putting him up that altar without... Isaac agreeing. So what has happened is when Abraham said, I and the boy are going up and I and the boy will return. Abraham has to raise him from the dead. He's coming back. But Isaac, the son, also had to have watched his dad worship and do sacrifices all his life to know the God of Abraham that if dad says do it, I'm good with it. Let's go. Then there's Samuel and Eli Samuel prophesied to a woman who couldn't have a baby. She had the baby. The woman gave the baby to Samuel to raise at the temple. Samuel's a prophet. The guy's getting bigger and bigger. And at one point, they're asleep, separate rooms. And Eli, the boy, hears Samuel! Samuel! He gets up and runs to help his spiritual father, the prophet. And the prophet sounds like, I didn't call you. Go lay down. So he does it. This happens three times. Samuel catches on that might be the Lord. So he tells him this time, You hear the voice again, say, Hear my Lord. And that was the start of Eli's supernatural walk with God. To be a mother, a father, to be a mentor, one, to teach someone how to hear the voice of God and obey and obey? What do you do? The Lord told me to. It's for a pastor to see someone come from getting born again to all of a sudden beginning to hear his voice and obeying and watch the growth take place. Watch the facial change. You know, we hadn't seen Joyce Mule uh, for many a year and her, and her husband of 20 years, Rick, came and if you look at them now, And the countenance on their face from the time that they first got here, it's totally different. Bill Gurman gets delivered on Wednesday night. And I've known Bill forever. His face has changed. To put someone in a position so that the presence of God can change their life. Amen? Amen. It says in uh, Exodus thirty-three, eleven. Let's go there. This is Moses and Joshua. Exodus thirty-three and the verse eleven. And the Lord spoke unto Moses face to face, as a man would speak. Unto his friend. Isn't that what you want in your daily walk? That he'll speak to you as a friend? You don't have to go hunt him up. He'll talk to you face to face. I'd rather have him chew my backside out than him not talk to me at all. I mean, when I did wrong or thought wrong was not when he found out about it. When I told him, he already knew. So he said, and he spoke uh, as a friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not from the tabernacle. Okay, here's the picture. Father like one, son. God talks to Moses like a friend. Joshua's in the tent. He's watching this go on. Moses goes down to the camp. Joshua doesn't want to leave. To teach your children, to teach young ones in the Lord to want to be in His presence and worship like we were this morning. That was powerful this morning. A crowd this size can't make that kind of noise very easily. I mean, it was rocking. Oh, we're going to just sing a song, sing a hymn. No, 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 no. We sing a song to Him. The hymn belongs to Him. We just don't sing to sing. Well, it's part of what a church does. Then they take your money, and then some guy tries to entertain you with a message for 30 minutes, 40 minutes. New. Joshua lingered in the tent. He wanted to be there. We're finding on Wednesday night, it's hard to get people to go home. We're done at 6, 7.30, 7.45. It's 9 o'clock. No one's gone home. Yep. Yep. Why? They want to linger in his presence. And be there with people of the same faith. Say, I'm enjoying this too. If you need to be refreshed, I had a tough day or week. Come on a Wednesday night, and while means come on Sunday morning. Come on Sunday morning because God is so good to us. Amen. <laughs> Let's go to Second Kings. will be in first of all we'll go to 2 Kings 2 verse 5. Now this is a great great thing I learned, particularly Alan Vincent drove this home. Okay, 2 Kings number 5. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, know us now that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, I know, and hold your peace. I just want you to see, there was sons of the prophet. There was a school where people could be around the prophet and learn. It's amazing when you're around a godly man or woman, how much you can learn from them just by watching them. And it is said, the Lord's going to take him up today. And in verse 10, it says, Elijah says to Elisha, he goes, I want a double portion, and it says in verse 9 at the bottom of it, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, thou hast asked a hard thing, nevertheless, if thou seest me when I'm taken up from thee, it shall be done unto thee, but if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass that they were still there, uh, let's say it appeared a chariot of fire, horses of fire, and parted. Asunder, and Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, "My father, my father!" And then it says, in verse thirteen, and he took the mantle of Elijah, which was the ministerial mantle. Key thing: he didn't say, "My chance, my son. I get a double portion. I'm gonna be in every TV show and write tiny books and oh, all over the internet." Oh no! He said, "My father, my father." My father, my father. I want to give you what Alan gave me. Elijah, we've been there at Mount Carmel. 850 prophets of Baal cut themselves and cried out to their demon gods to light that sacrifice on Mount Carmel. And Elijah is one prophet of God. 850. And he's making fun of them like he's Your gods are maybe on vacation. Literally, you say, maybe they're going to the bathroom. They can't come right now. I mean, he is going after them. And then Elijah calls down fire and they kill all 850. But before the day's out, Jezebel said, I'm going to have your head on a platter. And Elijah runs for his life in depression. Greatest day of ministry. And shortly thereafter, he's depressed. Elijah never again rises up to the level that he was at that moment. And Elisha is with him and has watched all that has gone on. Elisha was not asking for a double portion for I have... By the way, he did exactly twice as many miracles as Elijah. He got exactly what the Lord said he could have. Okay? But he didn't ask it to show off. He saw a demon take his master down somewhat And said, if he can do it to Elijah, I need a double portion to take him down. And he took Jezebel, Ahab, down. He took them down and fulfilled the latter part of the things Elijah was supposed to do. He got it done. There's a father teaching a son to prepare them for life. I want my children to have been prepared for life. And now that I'm at this point, I wish I had done some things a little bit better. At the time, I didn't try to do bad, does anyone? But the more you increase, the more you know, the more you experience, the more you can give and share. One of my great joys is to be pastor of church. When we were at the other building, I'd go upstairs to the, and walk all through the kids' thing, make sure I greet every kid, everyone, hug on them. I want them to be willing to learn from me. That's my pastor. I want to have a father-like influence on their lives. Just the other day when we had the picnic, every one of the kids, every one of them, bar none, got to them all. Luke's every one of them, get to them all. Why do you do that? Because I want them to know I love them, and I want to have influence in their life. I don't want to be that special guy that nobody, you can't talk to him because he's a senior pastor. No, I want to be a father-like one that loves on him. I want the high fives, I want the fist bumps, I want the smiles like I just got. Amen? Okay. It says, you ask a hard thing, my father, my father. Let's go to, just for fun, 2 Timothy. The Bible is so full, when you look at it in light of mentoring, there's so much in there for us, how we can affect other people, and bless their lives. 2nd Timothy chapter 3 and we'll go with verses 10 and 11. But you have fully known my doctrine, the manner of life, my purpose, my faith, long suffering, charity and peace. You also know the persecutions, afflictions which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, and what persecutions I endured. But out of all of them, the Lord delivered me. One of the great, great qualities you can put into a young person in mentoring is that the, to stand their ground when there's a fight because he'll get you out of them. Stand your ground. Don't back up. Be a shama. I'm not backing up. Philistines want my... No, no, you, you're not getting my harvest. Won't back up. Now it's important... In here because he says, you have fully, not partially, so you must be engaged in it, known my doctrine, the manner of life, how you live it, my purpose and my faith. He said, you know this. And I just say to you, do your children, your grandchildren know this about you? Not only that, do the kids downstairs do they get to know you and begin to observe your manner of life and your purpose? Do your own children recognize that? You're, follow me? Because you're in 2 Timothy, we'll just go to chapter 2 for the fun of it. It's really easy to get there. And this is verse 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same I commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others. The idea is what you teach can be given to somebody else. And you commit it not to, not to bozos, not to those who take it lightly or just make fun of church or make fun of religion. But you teach it to people, faithful men, faithful men, faithful men and women. Teach it to them. Teach it to them. You know what manner of life you live, what your purpose is, your faith, how you walk in love. Teach it to them. It's in Galatians and I didn't get the exact chapter and verse but basically this is Paul saying what you hear of me what you see of me do. Just hear, see, then do it. Hear, see, do it. I deal with troubled marriages for a long time we have and I can take one individual and show him or her, do this and you will lower the volume in the household and in three months you'll have peace in the household and you'll be going here. Never fails but you got to hear it, you got to see it, then you got to do it. Most of the time the spouse just wants me to feel, understand how hard they've had it and it goes both ways, men and women, and then uh, fix him or fix her. No, God's going to fix you. Our big fight in our first year down the house, and the Lord was not interested in my complaining about, oh, Deborah's not making me happy. Not, and He says, you're making my daughter unhappy. He talked to me about what I have to do. You take ownership, hear, see, and do. Amen? Let's go to Philippians. We're close. I hope you're enjoying this today. Yes, yeah. You will build a base in your family and the family of God, where God can add more to it, and you can do more things. Being responsible with little, He'll make you rule. be responsible. With little, He'll make you rule over much. We got to care for each other's lives. You got to care for each other's lives. Philippians chapter 2 and verse change turn the page verse 17 yea and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and the service for your faith joy and rejoice with you all for the same cause also do ye do ye joy and rejoice with me but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy, Timothy shortly to you that I may be of good comfort when I know your state. Now listen to this, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. He's sending Timothy, he says, I don't have anybody who said they're with me of like-mind who will just out of their heart care for your state. Care for your life. Care for your family. Well, I don't think you've done this too much. Do you care for someone's life? Do you care for their family? It's not over. Because later Timothy says in 2 Timothy 4, you don't have to turn there. Demas was one of his men. And he writes, Demas has deserted me having loved this present world more. Demas was on his team. And he only, I only have Timothy that I can send you who's like-minded for your care. This guy just wants more money, more prestige. Doesn't want, doesn't want oh, it's too much hassle, persecution. and It was great when, when there are miracles and everything's going great, but now i got to put up with some hardship. Oh, gee, I don't know if I want to do that. We're close, we're in Philippians, so let's go to chapter 3. Now, I'm going to give you five characteristics of a mentor, a father like one, for you to think about yourself and to employ in yourself. Philippians 3, verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. All oh, the power, I got to have the power. yeah, all the power. Well, well, well what's this fellowship of suffering? We live in a world full of sin that doesn't work right. And then the inside there, you got people who even are not demonized, they're selfish, full of pride and selfishness. Then you have demons. You're going to, in life, hit obstacles. So I'll take that power. Uh, Let's go a little further. He says, uh, verse 12, Not as though I've already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that which I'm apprehended, for which also I am apprehended of Christ. Brethren, I count myself not to have apprehended But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching for the things that are before, I press toward the mark. You want to be a leader? You want to be a father? Mother? You want to be an influencer? The mistakes of the past got to stay back there. I'm sorry it happened. I'm sorry you went through it. But Jesus can empower you to press forward to where your destiny is and what he wants out of your life. Press I'm pressing toward the high mark, the prize, the high calling, not the low calling. I want the high calling. I want to finish my job. Thought of John Wayne and the Cowboys when John Wayne's been killed and they're burying him in Mr. Nightling or the cook. They wrestle him to the ground. They start breaking out the guns and uh, they're going to go get the bad guys, which they do. And the, boy, the nightlinger says, "You're going to get yourselves killed." And the leader of the boys says, "No, we're going to finish our job. Finish your job. Make a difference. Learn to be the biggest giver of faith, love, and stuff there is. Why well, I don't have a lot of stuff. Start where you're at. Give the faith. Give the effort. Give the. If all you got is a dollar, give the dollar. If all you got you can do is pray and intercede, pray and intercede." Amen? Amen? I'm going to press toward the mark. Why? Because the number one thing you've got to have if you're going to lead is passion. Is passion. I am passionately in love with Jesus Christ. And I'm getting worse all the time. Next, and I said, it, my family. I am passionate about Deborah and my family. But, ladies and gentlemen, I spent a lot of time in a hospital or rehab units. And Deborah can be the only one because she saw me on a daily basis. How passionately I wanted to get back in church. As soon as I could crawl, if necessary, to get back here. Why? Because you're my family. I'm looking forward to Mercedes' first message when she gets back. Pray right first, you're getting stronger every day. Life is getting gooder and gooder. But we have a family. We have so many people traveling today and doing stuff. Bless them. They're a part of our family. But remember, God added to the church 3,000 that day that should be saved. The next time it says in Acts chapter 6, he multiplied, didn't add. Now, if you add 3,000 to us right now, that's a pretty good day. But we have to figure it out because in a short time, he's going to multiply. He's going to put a 2, 3, 4, 10 on the multiplication thing, and your 3,000 is going to be 30,000. Then he's going to up the multiplier to greatly multiply. You read things we have $900,000, 900,000 people in the Metroplex. Less than 10% go to church. Is there not a missions field? Well, we're down at City Link for church. Because it's the only place big enough to hold us. Do it, Joel Osteen. Just buy the Coliseum. Yeah. Just buy it. That was the Houston Rockets basketball Coliseum he bought. Yes. For a church. Yes. Don't get me started. Okay, number two point you have to have is Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. You have to have Vision. Why would anyone follow if you don't know where you're going? Think on that. Why would anyone follow you if you don't know where you're going? Where are you going? Where's this church going to win this city for Jesus? Simon hasn't changed. Well, but it's been so long. And we've done so many firsts and made such headway. We're in a better position now than we were 20 years ago. No churches worked together 20 years ago. Black, white, Hispanic, none of them. Did anything together? That's not so now. The newer churches that are being built out west are filled with college-age people. Whoever wins the youth wins the city. Yeah, things are changing. You got to have a vision. Well, but pastor, you're going to be sixty-nine years old. I'm not dead. I'm refired in the Holy Ghost, and I want to do my job. Vision got some. Let's go to Second Thessalonians. I hope I got this right. Chapter two. Nope, I don't. Let's see. Nope, don't have it. Um, just basically number three is character. You have to have char- godly character. You want to first see what character looks like? Go to First Corinthians chapter 13 and see what walking in love is. The Holy Ghost moves on you in chapter 12 is doing supernatural things. Chapter 13 is just a supernatural, but it's a part you play. You have to choose to walk in love. You choose to forgive. You choose to be patient and long-suffering. That's the first place you start with the character. Then go to the fruits of the Spirit. Get your groundwork laid. Grow up and bear fruit. Just don't have leaves on the tree. Have fruit on the tree. Amen? Uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians 4. One of my favorite scriptures in studying through Alan, particularly. One of the things in studying on Wednesday nights you find is this is Paul having some guys come to him and tell him we got problems in the Corinthians church. It's a mix between Greek, Roman, Jew, slave, free, bond. It has the second largest demon temple on the planet, the temple of Venus. The culture there is an absolute mess. And once you got born again, then they start trying to bring some of the stuff in demon worship and their culture in and try to make it church. And he's, he's, telling them, I have the right. Particularly in Second Corinthians, he says, the fact that you get in the kingdom is because of my ministry. You tell me I'm not an apostle. The fact I got you in the kingdom. But this is now just 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you have people saying I'm, I'm of this, uh, home church, but they're taking in some of the demon stuff here and the demon stuff here. If you're a Jew, you, every man has to be circumcised. Let's bring the law in. All this stuff was happening when Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though you have thousands of instructors in Christ, you have not many fathers. In Jesus Christ... I have begotten you through the gospel. A thousand teachers. You don't have many fathers. I'm not doing this to shame you. I'm doing this to warn you. Later on he'll say, anyone who calls Jesus accursed it's not the spirit of God. They have guys come in who got gotten born again who all of a sudden are changing and saying Jesus never rose from the dead. They're making communion a drunken mess. It, and he's saying, you got a lot of teachers. You know, let me teach you, I've got a re- I have a revelation, I have a revelation. But you don't have many fathers, and I've paid the price. I am your father in the faith. Isn't that good? Number four point is you've got to have a father's heart. You've got to have a father's heart. Tough lesson over the years, is because I've been, like you haven't been, I've been light on a few times. Pretty badly. And what would I do if I met so-and-so on the street besides knock him out? <laughs> then ask God to forgive me and ask them to forgive me, but hit him first, not hit him. <laughs> no. What are you going to do? And I'm learning a lesson all the time on how to walk in love, even at this stage of my life, as the prodigal. That boy wanted his inheritance. What he said to his dad, "I wish you were dead." Give me your stuff. How many been in families with relatives and people die and all of a sudden they want the stuff? Pretty ugly. That's what the boy said to him. I wish you were dead. And the dad knew the son's going to take the stuff and go waste it, which he did. And it says, though, when the son came to the end of himself, he didn't say, I want to go repent to dad. He said, my dad's servants have food and I'm starving eating with pigs if I go home and just be a servant, at least I'll eat. So he's coming home, it says, and the dad saw him afar off, keeping intercession of people you don't like, or people hurt you. Can you stand on the porch and pray for them when they're afar off and you haven't seen them for a while? Can you pray for them? And he sees his son come, and he runs to him, and the son's got his speech all made. You know, I don't deserve to be, you know, and he He puts the ring on, which is authority as a son in the house and a robe that covers his dirty, filthy pig clothes and throws a party. And he said, my son who was dead is alive. Do you want to pray for people and lead people and take the responsibility of people so much that you want to see those who have walked away from Jesus, walked away from the church, walked away from family... You want to see them come back and will you not sit there and say, yeah, but you have to apologize for these 15 things first. It doesn't work until you apologize. The dad didn't make him do that. You got to let it go if you want to have a minister's heart, a father's heart, a leader's heart. Last part, number five, integrity. Is your word your word? Do you act the same minister? Well, I'm around you. What do I do when I'm in private life? Do you steal? Do you lie? Do you treat people mean? Where's some integrity? It says in Proverbs 11, verse 3, that in your integrity will guide you. It brings a code into your life how you live. I wish I'd tell you I'm perfect. Occasionally I've lied. But I am not a habitual liar by any means. I hate lying. And I have no problem being held accountable for my words. I will own up to them. I want to have integrity in my life. Hebrews, read it to you real quick. This is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. It says, Obey them that have rule over you. Submit yourselves, for they that watch over your souls, they must give an account. They should do it with joy and not with grief. How many times on movies and TVs and stuff, you know, do nothing but give grief to the parents. I'm sorry they ever had that. They have oversight of your soul. They're supposed to do it with joy, not with grief. Amen? Now, because of time, I'm going to condense 1 Samuel 17 and it is verse 39 through 58. I'm just going to talk it out because we have a few other things to do today. This is my favorite father story. This is David who is a half son of Jesse. All his other brothers have the same mother. David does not. He's also not the favorite at the house either. When the prophet comes and said, I want to anoint one of your boys, he doesn't even think of David because he's not a full blood. Okay? But it's going to be David. David is fourteen to fifteen years old, somewhere in there. He has a ruddy complexion, it means he's a handsome, cute little guy. His dad put him out in the fields to take care of the sheep. Why would you have to? Oh, they'll just wander off. No, what else is out there at nighttime that comes out to see the sheep? Bears and lions. He's 14 years old, doesn't have a learner's permit yet. And he doesn't get to have a gun or a lightsaber. He's got a sling, not even a sword. And at 14, because he's out there worshiping the Lord, he played his harp out there. He worshiped, he understood the presence of God and the God of Israel. And he killed the lion, he killed the bear. His dad says, Take some food. Take it to your brothers who are in the army. They go there in the army. And this is where the word foxhole comes from. Israel is so scared of Goliath, they dug holes, and foxholes came out of that. Saul moved his tent. Saul's seven foot tall. He moves his tent to the back. Nobody, I mean, for days, Goliath comes out and curses God and curses the army, and nobody's going to fight him. Nobody does. 14, 15-year-old boy shows up. I'll go. He says, after hearing the cursing, he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He just called him, who's this uncircumcised dog who doesn't have a covenant with God? Saul's men want to put Saul's armor on him to go out and fight. And it's too big. Saul's seven foot, he never, and he goes, he says this, I haven't proven these weapons. That's so I tell you in the anointing. Don't try to work off somebody else's tools. Prove yours. Get yours to work. Get yours to work. So he goes out there. And he says, I come at you, in verse 45. He says, I come at you in the name of the Lord, host of Israel. And he says, and I will cut your head off and feed it to the birds. He don't have a sword. The only one in this situation as a sword is Goliath. But he takes five stone, s- stones and it says Goliath was so ticked off that they sent a kid, not a warrior out. He's just like spitting mad and he's going to go out there and just butcher the kid. And, okay, And it says Goliath ran at David. Now, I don't know about you, but I've played against a seven-foot basketball player before. That's a big boy, let me tell you. You pull a switch, and you all switch over, and I'm supposed to stop a seven-footer at 5'10". That's not happening very easily. Okay? So what I'm trying to tell you is he's the big guy. He is somewhere between 11 and 12 feet tall. A giant. A legend. He starts running at the boy. It says in verse 48, David ran at the army. David wasn't going to stop at the giant. He's going to get them all. It says he ran at the army. You defy my God, I'll get you all. He hits him in the head, knocks him out, takes the big sword, cuts his head off. By the way, that's not an easy task, taking a big sword like that and cutting a human being's head off through the neck and all that stuff. Goliath's got long hair, Uh, I've had fish head soup in the Philippines with entrails in the soup. you got all the entrails of the head. I mean, it's gross. He wraps it around his hands. He's 14 to 15 years old. He carries the head. He's heading home, but he doesn't stop at home. He takes a detour. He could have taken a right and gone show Jesse what he did. He will later. He walks up, because you have to go up to Jerusalem. You walk up to Jerusalem and he goes to a city called Jabus, which is Jerusalem. Jabus is owned by demon worshipping people and that town has never been conquered ever. They put demon statues in the wall around and all the Jews know it. It's this, it is the I wish that, oh, that existed. They can't get rid of it. Everyone has tried can't do it. David will later say, whoever opened the gate You'll be the head of my army. They, they took Jabez in a day and a half. what took months and they couldn't do it. David took it in a day and a half. But he carries the head. And what he's saying in the spirit realm, the same God who gave this giant in my head, hands is going to give me this city. And I'll take it. He said, I'll be back. The original Arnold Schwarzenegger line. I'll be back. You know what? He came back and he took it. You know what? He made it the capital. You know what? He brought the Ark of the Covenant back in there. But the great line for me is in line 58. Saul doesn't know who this kid is. The kids have him quite a day. And he doesn't ask the kids, his guys, what's that kid's name? What's his name? Well, his name's David. No, he said, Who's that boy's father? Who taught that boy to be like that? I want to know. And the answer is our Heavenly Father. Because it's just David and him. And I want to say to you, who teaches your, your children, your grandchildren, the people in the church, new believers, who teaches them to be that much of a warrior to win? You can hold up the head of your enemy in your life. You can knock down the walls. You can get healing in here. You can get prosperity in here. You can do anything. Who taught you to be that way? Who taught you? In a moment, we're going to listen to a song from Jeremy Kemp that I've been listening to all week in my head. Can't get rid of it. We played it today. Pastor Brandon went for it. And Nick, I might go a second song. But I want you to take just a little bit of time to remember your grandpa's, your dad's. Your children. The people who poured into your life. Uncle Don, in my case. I was his favorite. He took care of me. I got to go everywhere with Uncle Don. Didn't miss a college World Series game when Don was in town. Who pours into your life? And who are you focused on now pouring into? Are you willing to pour into the waitress or the waiter today at lunch? Possibly their lives be turned around and their whole future's changed. Who are you going to get? What are you going to do? Because I had a bad day a couple years back. I had a bad day. Anybody? Nope. Just not my favorite of all days. And what I do when, normally, one I'll go out and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to mow. I'll mow at church. I'll mow at my house. It's Friday afternoon. It's time to mow the yard. So I'm out at my house. We have a corner lot. So you have a stop sign and the street here. And I'm out on the island on the long west side of our house. And you go up, down, up, down, you got it. that island done, then you go to the rest stop. But I'm out there, this guy drives up and stops way short of the stop sign. And he puts his car in park, opens his door, and stands up. He said, Hey, are you Jim McGaffin's son? Now, my dad died shortly after we were married, a few years later so it's been a long time I don't know who this guy is I've never met in my life he drove up are you Jim McGaffin's boy I said yeah I said your dad was a great man and drove him off I've never seen him again but you know what he was right my dad doesn't see me down here sulking feeling sorry for myself get up whose son are you whose son are you get up Get up some more. Now we're going to play the song. You can keep your eyes open, you can close. But I want you to think on the, the grandpas, the dads, the family members. Maybe someone in this church who's been, you know what, this is a great day for Merritt Reese. Because he took on the role of a mentor to my son-in-law and helped change his future and his vision And you know what? He has a boy named after him now. Whose father is he? What a great day. Who are you going to affect? Who are you going to change this day? This day. And you start at Jack's age. And you don't ever stop till you're in heaven. Go ahead, Nick. Same power is in you. Think of those people. Grandpa Mac. I can Grandpa Al
1: the waters holy. raging at my feet. I can feel the breath of those surrounding me. I can hear the sound of nations rising up. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. I can walk.
0: To do something honorable. Honor means to find value in. I want you to find someone that's in your life that you can find value and honor them. They can't stop you from honoring. They don't always act honorable, but you can still honor. You can still honor. I was out of town once, traveling, and Deborah was preaching. And it was time for her to get up there and preach. And our son Mark came up to the front of the church and sat in my chair. That's where Pastor Jim seats. He knew exactly what he was doing, he did an honorable thing. He knew exactly what he was doing. The anointing of God is on you for a reason. It's not there for grins, it's to be used. And his anointing first comes in love, because that's what, all these other things are out there, but if you don't have love, it doesn't work right. You're anointed to love. So love those in your families. Love those in this church family. But honor someone today. You're out there by their lunch. Wednesday night we, we went to place the restaurant to get uh, a burger after uh, church before they closed. and we were there the Wednesday night before too, same place. and we just bought this lady's food down the, down there and someone after we left, someone told her, well, she was there the next last Wednesday. She came up to us like we're long lost, lost friends. We've known us forever. Just because we were nice, she moved over because of the leg situation, make it easier for me to sit. In. She just moved. She didn't have to. Little things, then you get the big things. Yeah. Then you get the big things. You get the father daughter dance, where most people didn't know we were dancing. But I also laid my hands on her and I changed. Released her, in a sense, of the covenant of mom and dad into the covenant with her husband. One of the most meaningful things of my life to do that for my daughter. You'll have moments with your kids and family. And if, let's say, well, my family's all blown apart or I'm the last one, then come here. There's plenty to love here. Plenty. Amen? Deborah, you got anything you need to do? Just, okay, this has come up to me three times, so I'll just share. I don't know the answers to everything. And I'm brought it before the Lord. What's it about? In Wednesday night, we had nobody in the booth. And light that weren't on, one beam comes across. And Mitchell recorded it. He has it on film. Two weeks later, the three quarters of this board lights up. Yes, it did. Cassidy's sitting right here. Nobody's in the booth. Correct. Can't get to him. It's not recorded. At all. Last Wednesday night, uh, I don't say some things that I, I noticed in the anointing. I wait for there to be another witness of it. Uh, oh, that's just Pastor Jim. No, I, I'll be the second witness, but some, somebody else see it. And I looked over at Mitchell, and he goes. He's sitting over there. See that there's a light out. The lights out back there. The row of three. They came on. None other lights, none back there. Just those. Cassidy's sitting here. Nobody's in the booth. No one's touching the lights. So I want to say, Lord, what are you doing? And all I get is signs and wonders. There's going to be things I wonder. I'm wondering. Okay, what's up, what are you going to do with this church in the lives of people? But I do know this, if I don't teach about it, you won't hear faith to receive it, to act on it. I have to teach it, faith cometh by hearing. For the be- You know, I can teach on salvation and people get saved. I mean, the Baptist church teaches salvation almost every Sunday it seems. And they're known for getting people saved. But if I don't teach on the gifts of the Spirit and the move of the Holy Ghost and giving us time like we just did in that song, how many enjoy those when we do that? Yes. I pick a song on purpose. On purpose. That speaks to the message and what God's doing with us. Because I want you comfortable. Uh, that, I want you knowledgeable and understanding of the presence of God. And the healing in your body. Matter of fact, if anyone needs prayer before you go home, you need prayer right now. Stand up. Just stand up. If you need prayer, stand up. And by not sta okay, you're saying there's no one in here in pain or any sickness. Okay, march, get to work. What I've done on Wednesday nights is I've asked the people who attend, write down, tell me what gifts you already move in. And then tell me what you want to move in. I didn't know you have a heart for healing. Now I do. Now I'll use you. Oh, we thank you, Lord, for your healing power right now. We give you glory and we give you honor. All pain, stiffness, soreness go. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, I'm to warn you, when you leave here today, there are two things that can happen you, that will cause you to lose ground because he comes immediately to take the word out and you don't have the roots down deep and that is persecution and affliction and a hard heart. With whatever you're going to go through with uh, Father's Day and everything else in family, don't have a hard heart. Don't let him take this out of your life. Put it to work and let the roots go down, and then you'll bear 30, 60, 100 fold. Amen? Let it go in. Make a difference. I am convinced, Merritt, the reason in your line of work that you're one of the few that have lasted and have grown like you have, because you told me something when I first met you. You're honestly trying to help the people who come into your business have a better life. It's not about them making you money. You're trying to help them have a better life. And that's why it's been honored. Simple. You want them to have a better life. Better life. Amen? Well, praise the Lord. Anything else? Anybody have a word, anything in their heart that they need to say? Okay, it's a quarter till... And I have a gift for the men. I like this. Where's a flashlight when you need them, guys? For all the fathers first, uh, we bought a bunch and they only sent half. So we want to make sure all the dads get them first. Anything left, we certainly want all the guys to have them. Jack, you can have mine. Okay? But we want to pass them out. Mike's doing it now. And fellowship. Make sure you do something supernatural today. Do something supernatural. Tell someone you love them that's hard. They're hard to love. Okay. We'll see you Wednesday night. Bring a friend. Bring a friend. And happy Father's Day and Grandpa's Days and all Son's Days. Pretty cool. Hey, you want to, I think I've said this before, but it bears, you don't think saying the same thing over and over again to people you love doesn't count? Connor's just a little guy, and he was doing something, getting in trouble, and his mom said, you're being a bad boy. You know what he said? I'm not a bad boy. Grandpa says, I'm a good boy, and he loves me. Every time, thousands, maybe millions, I've said, Connor, you're a good boy. I love you. I love you. That came out of him because it went in him. Find some people to put it in. Amen? Go on home. Pick up your kids. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We always want to encourage those of you who have a story of how God is working in your life through this ministry to send us an email to amen at libertyofomaha.com. For more information on Liberty Church, visit libertyofomaha.com. Thanks for joining us and have a credible week.